So uh, if we could title this message, it would be forgetfulness and fruitfulness would be the title of what I'm going to share with you a little bit tonight, forgetfulness and fruitfulness. And uh, God is a God of family. He loves family. Before God birthed the church, he had family and family is the church. What did Jesus say? That the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And that the church is not just a building. We're the house of God. We are people, relationships that we have with one another. And the, the, anything that the enemy has tried to thwart the destiny of God over your life, he's not going to win. You have an unstoppable destiny over your life. As children of God, you have an unstoppable destiny because someone preached a message one time was called, Who's Your Daddy? And uh, we, we come from Oakland, and so we get a little bit kind of, we, we, our church is an international church, and I was telling Pastor Caesar, um, I'm so thankful for heritage. Thank, I'm thankful for family. I come from a, a background, I have 10, nine brothers and sisters, and I had two wonderful parents, and so we are raised Catholic, and so I went to parochial school all my life. But uh, as I was a teenager, that didn't mean a whole lot to me because just of worldly influences and a lot of pain that we have. And, and uh, so I'm thankful that I can look back upon the heritage. And before my father passed, my father was a World War II veteran. He was in Pearl Harbor, and he passed away about a year and a half ago. And I was able, let's give the worship, all the musicians a hand, all the worship team. Thank you. Sound men, thank you. They do such a wonderful job, all the... All of the technical end and the sound men and the musicians and uh, what will we do without them? Amen. We love them. And so we appreciate them. And I appreciate my son. That's my son. And uh, he's, he's 17 years old and he's a senior this year. He's uh, going to college in, in August. And I'm thankful because my wife and I, I'm thankful for my wife, my beautiful wife, Portia. And uh, she's crazy. If you don't know that, she's crazy for Jesus. And uh, that's okay. I, I mean, how many of you guys have ever gone to a sports game, an athletic game, and you've seen some crazy fans? And maybe you're one of them, so don't raise your hand if that's you. But you know what I mean? You ever been to a sporting event, a soccer game, and we're watching the Olympics, and you see the, the, uh, someone said, that's a Raider fan out there. And they were, I was like, come on. So that's not a Raider fan, but we're from Oakland. And so, uh, yes, Oak Town. And... Uh, and, uh, but I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. Amen. When I, before I, I, I grew up knowing about the Lord and I did everything wholeheartedly for the devil, even, even though I knew about Jesus. And so when I got saved, I wanted to serve God wholeheartedly. Amen. And so God gives us that unction and that passion, his spirit upon us. And so what I was saying early, earlier, well, I'm jumping around, but, but finding out about my legacy, about my family's heritage and my dad, I asked my dad before he passed away um, how he became a Christian. And I was asked him, what was his family background? And he, I said, Does, did my grandfather, because I never knew my grandfather, he was so much older than I and he passed away. And I said, did, did your dad and my grandfather was a World War I veteran. And he, he died, and he was bitter, and his parents abandoned him. And then my dad's mother and father got divorced. And so my dad had a broken home. And so he said, no. He says, we weren't raised in church. We weren't raised around God or anything like that. But when he traveled from the Midwest to the West Coast, this was maybe in the 30s or the 40s, no, probably in the 30s, 
And he had an aunt who they traveled from Portland. They came across from Illinois to Portland and then from Portland all the way down to Los Angeles. And they lived near Angeles Temple down in Southern California. And so my great aunt or his, his aunt, she became a spirit-filled Christian. And so as a little boy, she would take him to the Amy Simple McPherson meetings. And he was there just playing marbles with his, his brother, my uncle Tommy. And they would play marbles, but he tells, he would tell me stories about people being healed and, and the power of God flowing and people speaking in this crazy language. But he didn't know why his aunt just drug him there, but there was an impartation. And so later on, when my mother and father got together, now it's in the fifties or early sixties and my parents started having a family, Aunt Lulu, our great Aunt Lulu would come to our home and she would pray over our family. And my older sister, she's the patriarch of our family. She's the oldest. Her name is Rosemary, and she has four children. So she's the first, I'm the ninth. But because we didn't have a lot of aunts and uncles, she became my godmother. And so she told me this story of history. She said, Aunt Lulu, our great Aunt Lulu would pray over me that our family would have a touch of God upon it, that we wouldn't get so caught up into Catholicism that we wouldn't know the spirit-filled life. And so there was a prayer, an impartation went forth. And so I'm talking to my dad about this history of what took place. And I'm, I'm able to find out about my history and how God used people in my past to pray for me where I am now. And so here I am, I get saved, I get spirit-filled, born again, and I come into this church, this crazy church that is called Shiloh, and I said, wow, these people are crazy here because they're dancing and they're singing, and I knew about God. If you would have asked me, did you believe in Jesus? I would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I was still bound by religion and lust and drugs and a lot of anger from things that I faced in my childhood. And so God had to deliver me of those, of those uh, issues in my life and those things. But he planted me in a church, in a family, where I could grow and get planted. And I've been in that church ever since I got saved. That was over 24 years ago. And I met my wife in that church. I met Pastor James McCurdy in that church. And actually, the founder of our church is from Canada. And uh, Bishop McCurdy knows who she is. And and so there's a a great heritage that we have. Roots go down deep. And how many know you got to be planted in the house of the Lord? When you get planted, your roots go down, down deep, and you can bear fruit. You bear fruit when you're planted. Now, my mother-in-law calls Christians that just jump around from church to church and conference to conference, she calls them tumbleweed Christians. Is that right? She calls them Christians with a tumbleweed because they just blow around with the wind to church to church, and they never get rooted and grounded in a local church and get planted so that they could come. Because everyone here, as Bishop McCurdy shared last night, everyone has a part to play. Everyone brings something to the table. And so I was able to find out about my history. I was able to get delivered. And I met my wonderful wife. And we've been married 21 years. We were youth pastors for 17 years. And so we had a host of young people. We had 30 people live with us since we've been married. We would take in kids and just become fathers to and mothers to children because that's just what God does with you. He got, you know, you can't fight God and, and you can't box with God. Your arms are too short to box with them. And, and when you get saved, guess what? Yeah, he loves you and he's going to heal you and he's going to bless you. And Jesus does all those wonderful things for us because Jesus is in the ministry of healing and delivering. But he's also putting us on the path of our direction. And so it's him that both wills and uh, us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so we didn't just ask. Someone says, well, how did you become a youth pastor? Did you have to go to seminary or cemetery? Or a, um, 
I said, no. I said, God, just put it in our hearts. What was in our hands around us. We saw the need and we were moved with compassion to see so many young people that didn't have fathers and mothers in our area. And it's interesting because even right now we work with in our city, we work with the chief of police who uh, he came from Long Beach and now he's in our city and he has a he's a man of God. He's a Christian. And so we have biweekly prayer meetings with the chief of police in our city because he wants to work with the clergy of the city and he wants to see righteousness established in our streets and not to be known as a, a city. And he even said this only one percent of the population caused 90 percent, 95 percent of crime and, and violence. And that's a shame because you think about it, only one person. It was only one person that took prayer out of the schools. You think about the power that one person can, can have if they set their heart. And we can say that's on the negative, but what about the godly? What about us as Christians? If that's true, either way, guess what? Your influence can make a difference. One person can make a difference. Pastor Portia shared today, we were at PJ's house, and she cooked a wonderful. Thank you guys for your hospitality and all the food. Thank you for just showing us kindness and um, how one person... They didn't know who they were ministering to. They weren't worried about the size of their church or their youth group, but they poured their life passionately into another person, and that person turned out to be Billy Graham. I believe that's what the story was. And so we don't know who we're touching with our lives. We're not, we're, we don't know. It's just that God wants us to be fruitful and to be able to reproduce in our lives, to be reproducing. Guess what? Someone should want to be just like you. Your kids should want to be just like you. Your, your friends around you. Now, how many of you guys sometimes you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you don't even like yourself sometimes. So uh, I understand. I, I, but you know what I mean? Get the spirit of God within us, he makes us into his image. And we're called to reproduce that image in the lives of others. And so back to this story about who is your daddy. I said, you know, I had great parents, but they had issues. They had issues of their own. That couldn't, that couldn't save me. My natural upbringing, yes, it helped me along the way, but ultimately, I had to come to a relationship with Abba Father. I had to come to an understanding, you know, it doesn't matter how good or bad my past was, because we deal with a lot of young people that have bad pasts, and and sometimes when we have bad pasts and hurts, sometimes we can use our past as an excuse of why we're not going forward, whether good or bad. And a lot of people do that. And so even in my life, I said, you know, that's wonderful. I had a loving family. They weren't perfect. There was a lot of pain. There was misunderstanding, but there was a lot of love. And I'm thankful for that. But when you know who your dad is, I don't know about you, but when you know who your family is, I should say that. Okay, I, I can only use this analogy that's coming to my mind. If you knew you had a, about 10 big brothers and sisters, or let's just say big brothers, and they were a lot older than you and a lot stronger than you. And you were just the little guy. You would walk around with a lot of confidence and security because wherever you went, you knew your big brothers were going to watch out for you, right? So you wouldn't worry about the bully at school. You wouldn't worry about anybody else. You would just walk around with a little bit. Of, you would be a little cocky brat, maybe, okay? You would walk around. But because it was because you knew you had someone watching over you that was going to take care of you, and they weren't going to let anything bad happen to you. So what did it do? It put a confidence and a faith in you, if I can use the term, or a fearlessness in you that you would just, you would go and dare to be crazy, even, okay? Well, how much more us as Christians, we have been adopted. 
we have been adopted into God's family by the spirit of adoption. And so you think about it in, in Romans chapter eight. What does it say? Where what's the first thing that a baby says? My son's first word. It's word daddy. He still calls me that I call I call my dad daddy. And he was 85 when he passed. I still knew him as daddy. And guess what? I still know my heavenly father as daddy. And some kids that maybe it's a, it's a hard situation where you didn't have a dad. There's the kids that we have that relate to us as they call Portia mom. They call me dad. Then are we their natural ch- uh, parents? No, we're not. But why? Because people want to belong. Kids want to belong. They want to belong to a family. And so isn't that wonderful that the laws of adoption supersede natural law? Do you know that? You ever you know a teenager that ever said, now, no, there's some teenagers in here. And we get teenagers, they were like, you know, what? I don't even want my parents anymore. When I get 18, I'm going to disown my parents and, you know, I'm going to write them off. Or you got parents that say that about kids. You know, I'm going to disown this child. I'm going to write this child off, you know. And uh, some parents do that, unfortunately. But you know that the laws of adoption state that when you adopt a child, you can never disown that child. That child is yours for life forever. So the, the natural laws of adoption supersede our own birth. And how many of you guys, we've been birthed into the king. We've been birthed into the family of God. We've been birthed by his presence, by his Holy Spirit. He makes us his kids. And so I don't know about you. I'm just in my dad's house. We're in father's house. And we thank God for the fathers of the house and just their love for the Lord. And uh, so we're talking about family. I think the greatest thing in my life, and I'll just be transparent is being a dad, is being a dad, not just to my natural and being a husband and to being able to be part of a family where I can see my father-in-law, because how many know that God is a God of generations? And so one reason we wanted to come here is because we wanted to bless our father-in-law. We want to bless dad, but also show that God carries on his will to generations. And God is not just a one generation. We're blessed in our church to have a multi-generational church. We have about four generations in our church. We have uh, folks in their 90s all the way down to babies. And so there's about four generations. And we're blessed to see that. And we're very multicultural. And so not just multicultural and international, but also multi-generational. Because young people need to be able to see that I belong to something that was before me. And also it's going to outlive me. To live with an eternal perspective that, you know what, my life counts for eternity. Why would young people, we we challenge young people, you know what, serving God, success is not money. Success, what did we ask young people, what is the definition of success to you? This is a good question to ask yourself. What is success? Is it having everything wonderful together that you can control everything? Sometimes we like to control God. Right? But God will let us know how weak we are. But success, to me, is doing God's will, is doing the will of God. And if I do that, then everything else that I put my hand to, I know that he's in it. That's going to be a part. That's going to be successful because I put him first. Matthew 6, That was my scripture that I lived by when I first got saved. I had all these questions about God and my future. I was 19 years of age. And I was like, what am I going to do with myself? And God gave me the scriptures. Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And it was a place of surrender. 
and it was a place of trust. And I hadn't have to worry about all my the educational pursuits that I want to pursue or economical pursuits. I just says, you know, God, I know that you saved me and delivered me and I owe you my life. And God, help me to live for you. And it had to be birthed out of that. And that's how it's gone. It's just gone. God didn't show me the whole picture. He didn't show me that I was going to be a pastor and that I was going to have a wonderful wife and son. He didn't show me all the stuff. So a lot of times we want God to show us everything. And then we say, well, we'll do it after you show me. No, God doesn't work that way. He says, you take a step of obedience and then I'll show you the next step. But we want everything figured out in our natural carnal minds, in our, our, our minds of reason. We want to just know everything. But God says, no, it's a, it's a trust thing. And so I'm rambling on a little bit, but if you would turn with me in your Bibles to First um, Samuel chapter 16, I am going to get into the Bible a little bit here, but uh, I was just thinking about family and legacy that we have, because what we're doing right now, what you're a part of, it's building for your future. Everything counts in your life. Everything that you do every day counts for your today, and you're sowing seed for your tomorrow. You're sowing seed for your generation. And as a, as a man and a, as a, a, husband, and a uh, husband and wife and having a, a child, we talk to our son. And it's a blessing for my, to see my son. And I wanted my father-in-law to see his grandson because we, we live on opposite sides of the country. And to be able to say, you know what, look what God has done in the fruit that has come out of your life. Because sometimes we don't always see and how many of you, it's okay to brag? How many of you guys have children in here or grandchildren? And as parents and grandparents, what? You just brag on your kids, right? You love your kids, right? I mean, when you have a baby coming to the family, that baby is the boss, right? The whole family shuts down around that little child, right? Isn't that true? And I think that's a good thing because children are wonderful. Children are awesome. Children, God loves I think he loves kids more than some adults sometimes. You know, Jesus said you better become like one. If you want to enter into the kingdom, right? We get so sophisticated in our, in our brains. We get so grown up. We want to figure everything out. And God says, just relax. And you ever see little kids in worship? You ever see little kids playing? What, they're free. If you told a kid that you were going to take them somewhere on vacation, you're going to take them to Disney World, would they ask you? They would just say, when are we going? That's all they want. When? Okay, are we going yet? They wouldn't worry how you're going to pay for the ticket. They wouldn't worry about what hotel you're going to stay in. They wouldn't worry about all the details, right? Because you gave your word and gave them a promise, that's all they needed. And they were just rejoicing because they were going to Disney World, wherever they were going, right? And they don't don't get encumbered with all the questions. And so becoming a child like, and so God, he loves young people. I love young people. My wife and I love young people. I know Pastor James and the pastors of this house love young people. And so here... In 1 Samuel, I'll turn there, chapter 16. Let's just go ahead and read this. And this is a story where Samuel is coming to anoint David as king. Thank you for your patience. Let's just go ahead and read it. It says, now, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, 
the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, for I provided myself, everyone say provided for myself, a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they had came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look upon his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all these young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and as your kids are. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So we see this picture of David's first anointing of being chosen, how the Lord was displeased with Saul because Saul was disobedient. In the previous chapter, he was supposed to kill and utterly destroy all the Amalekites. But when he he went and destroyed them, he kept back some of the provision. He didn't kill the king, and he kept some back because it says in in the chapter before that he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of people's opinions, and so the the Lord stripped him of the kingdom and said, No, Saul, I'm done with you. He says, You know what, Saul? When you were little in your eyes, when you were humble, when you weren't so haughty and great, I could use you. But now you've grown into this big... Uh, great king that's full of pride and arrogance and disobedience. And so the kingdom was stripped from you and now given to David at this time, our anointed. Now, David was 17 years of age at that time when this took place. David was a teenager. Now, you think about this generation because this generation, we live in such a high tech. I was sharing with my sister-in-law earlier. Our generation is so high tech, high, fast paced, fast, fast information age, but very low touch. Low touch. But yet at the heart of our creation, we're created for community. We're created for relationship. None of us, I don't care who you are, you can try to live in the farthest mountain by yourself. Guess what? God created us for intimacy. Now, I know people are different and there's time for solitude and that's okay. But ultimately, God created us to relate to one another and affect one another. Sometimes when we avoid people, it's because of selfishness. If you think about it, we want to do our own agenda. And so we live in a generation that's interesting as, as 
we're talking about this generation, a fatherless generation. Right now, uh, I think the statistics are about 30% or 40% of families are without fathers. And then in in urban areas or minority areas, it jumps up to about 60 to 70%. We just had in our, in our city the other night, our pastor, our senior pastor and I went to a meeting and President Obama's, uh, his um, director of faith-based uh, work there, his name is Joshua, I forget, some of you may know it, he has a French, I think a French last name, but he was at the meeting and he was sharing with us, it was at a church in Oakland on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, uh, Joshua Dubois, I think his name is. And so he was sharing about this whole initiative that the president wants to start a campaign on fatherhood, a, a whole campaign about being fathers. And I thought that was a good thing. You don't hear about it in the news. You don't hear about it on CNN. But it was a campaign, a grassroots campaign to get churches involved for men to become fathers in their generation. And so here, if you look at this story with David, David was left out. David was rejected by his dad. His dad didn't even call him to the anointing party here. David was on the backside of of wherever, tending to the sheep, and he wasn't even invited. But yet God's eye and God's heart was upon the young, the youngest. And we see in Scripture, it's interesting if you look how God brought forth Abraham and, and all down the line, that there was blessing upon the younger, even though the firstborn get, got the double portion. A lot of times, God would bypass the firstborn, and he would give it to the younger. And also, there was also barrenness. If you look in the lives of Abraham's wife, Isaac's wives, and Jacob, there was a time of barrenness where God would come, and he would supernaturally have, even though they had the promise of God, they had everything poured out to them, God's faithfulness, they had the promise of God's provision, God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, yet they had to deal with natural terms of barrenness and also God's sovereignty in their lives. And God would come and supersede, and he would supernaturally touch the lives of women to be reproductive and touch the lives of their family to be reproductive. In our lives, he wants to touch us in that way. We may say, well, I don't see the fruitfulness in my life that I would like. I don't see my heritage like maybe you do, Pastor Steve, or or Pastor Lau, or Pastor McCurdy. But God wants to touch us in areas where we may not be productive and allow us to be fruitful in those areas. And so here's this society that we live in that's high-tech, low, high-tech, low-touch society the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 15, it says, in Christ, you have many instructors, many teachers, but very few fathers. And in this chapter, Paul was talking to the church in Corinth, and he was telling them about what they would have to go through to be carriers of the name Christian. And they were facing persecution. They were facing difficulty And Paul said something to them because he was their spiritual dad. He says, I want you to be a follower of me as I follow Christ. And so your children, your family, every one of us in here, we make a difference in the lives of whoever we come in contact with. Every one of you are going to influence about 10,000 people at least without doing anything hardly in your lifetime. That's the social statistics. Just the one person without just doing nothing. You're going to influence that many people. And so we have a a part to play. And so here Paul was sharing this with the Corinthians church that fathers are what's needed in our generation. And being a father to other people, it's sacrifice. It's work. 
You, do, you have to lay down your life. You have to pay the price for what God wants to do in future generations. You have to have a vision. Yeah, you're the one that I mean, you may get some honor, but you know what? We're called as men to humble ourselves and set the tone in our homes, the spiritual atmosphere for our wives, for our children, and not just in our natural, but in our kids' friends' lives, maybe that don't have dads. My son, Stephen, he has a host of friends that don't even have parents. And they all come over to our house because they know my wife loves to cook and, <laughs> and get some buttermilk fried chicken, Caesar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we live right around the corner. But Porsche and I, we notice this is that, and I don't know if Stephen, I think he has one of his buddies sleeping in his bed right now at home or going to tonight. He's shaking his head because it's his friend, but he's like, why does he have to sleep in my bed? But anyhow, we just... Even though our, we taught and we're teaching him is that, you know, you have the blessing of God, but your life is not your own. You're called to, to serve and sacrifice and serve the kingdom of God. And um, so I could have any day of the week, I could have 10 to maybe 5 to 10 young people at my house if I wanted them there. I don't always want them there, but you know what I mean? But they're mostly kids that because home is hard for them. Maybe there's relational strife. Maybe there's pain. Maybe they don't get along with their mom and dad as much as they, they like to come. Not that we're perfect because my wife and I, we get into an intense fellowship sometimes too. And, 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 uh, they've seen that they've seen that together, but they come because what? Yeah, they want to have food, but they also want to just hang out with, with, we call Stephen, his nickname is Deuce. As when he was a baby, we, before we even knew if he was a boy or a girl, we, the baby's nickname was Deucey. And so uh, then that was his nickname before he was born. And so then someone, when he became a junior, someone said, does that mean you're Ace? And he's Deuce. And so he's been kind of, that's his nickname. So, but he has a host of friends. And they would just like to come over because there's peace there. There's not strife there. They can come and rest there. They can come and find uh, what? What do they want? They want family. They want a place where they can just take their shoes off. And, and uh, we have to be careful because we're also, if they're going to come and take, receive that from us, then we have a right to speak into their life and say, you know what? What about your education or what about this area of your life? And so you're able to father them and speak into the life. Why? Because you invested time in their lives. And what, what validates you as a minister, because everyone in here is called to be a minister, is the time that you invest in the lives of others. Now, it's pretty easy. We can go out witnessing on the streets and just tell someone Jesus loves you. That's pretty easy. We can do that. But are you willing to spend time with that person after they come to church and disciple them, right? That's when the sacrifice comes. That's when, that's when the fathering comes in or the, the brother and sister. And so... God is wanting us to grow up to invest in other people because as you give out, you receive. As you pour out your heart, as you pour out your resources to other people that are not as fortunate to you, or you reach out and you walk with people, you encourage people. We try to tell our son, uh, Deuce, don't look for all the popular kids at school. Go to the kids that no one wants to hang out with and go and encourage them. Go speak words of life to them because, you know, all the kids want to hang out together and make fun. But go and you be a one that gives out and give out encouragement. And so even us, even as we've been comforted and poured into, we're called to pour out to other people. 
And as you go, as we pour out our lives, we're reciprocated back everything else that we need. Jesus knows what we need. He'll take really good care of us. He's our dad. He said that to us. We don't have to worry about all this stuff. But so many times we get caught up with all of our, we live in our own bubble. How many of you guys live in your own bubble when it needs to get popped sometimes? You know, I can do that, right? I can think about my world, my agenda, my schedule, me, 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 me. And God, God says, no, slow down. See people around you. See people around you that are hurting. They may look like they have it all together, but if we're so consumed with our own agenda, we can't reach out. In Malachi chapter 4, what is the end of the Old Testament in chapter 4? It says, this is the last verse of the Old Testament, and there's a promise there that God was going to do something. It says that he was going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the disobedient. And he's going to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the children back to their fathers. And I believe that that's just not natural, but that's a spiritual application for us. That God wants to touch a generation by turning our hearts, turning our hearts back to one another. And we could put mothers in there. We could put daughters in there. It doesn't mean just a gender thing because you say, oh, I'm not a father. No, but there's a generation that God is interested in. He wants to turn us, turn us back to one another. So here it was. We're going to get back to 1 Samuel now. It says Samuel was mourning. If you think about this, Samuel was in, in 1 Samuel. You think about when God told him to arise and do this, he was afraid. He was mourning the past. Samuel was still in mourning about Saul being rejected. Do you know that the past is the greatest enemy of what God wants to do in the future? Our pastor says it like this. It was the last wave of revival going back out that hinders the new wave from coming in. You think about it. The the wave going out, the exceeding wave, the new wave coming in, it breaks it down. And so being in past, if you any area in our life, what does Paul say? Forgetting those things that are behind me. I'm going to forget. Forget yesterday. I got to forget 2009. Maybe for many of us, 2009 could have been a difficult year. We're in a new year. We're in 2010. And I'm sure in January of 2010, you shared the vision of the house, right? You shared everything that was going to happen in 2000, the fresh breath of 2010. Well, guess what? January is over. Now we're in February. Well, guess what? You have to remember what you promised or what the Lord promised you for 2010, You're in a new year. You're in a new new day. And sometimes we forget January, what God spoke in January, just because we're in February. But we can't live in yesterday's failures, and we can't live in yesterday's, even yesterday's victories. You know that? We can't go back to what God, God wants to do something new in you. Put your bony prophetic finger out. Stick it in your neighbor's nose, nose and ear, eye. Don't. And say, God wants to do something new in me, in me. Don't, don't say you, say in me. That's right. Don't, that's right. He does. And so here was Saul. I, I mean, uh, Samuel, he was mourning Saul's death. He was mourning the past. And we can't go. We have to move on. He says to him, arise and embrace the new. Fill your horn with oil and go. Obedience. He wanted him to be obedient. Then it says that the Lord provided for himself 
a young man that was going to carry the new mantle. Now, we have a generation that God wants to pour himself out upon. This generation. What does Joel chapter 2 say? In the last days, what? That God was, would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Right? Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. That's why if you say you had a dream, you know you're old. Okay? So... If you, make sure it's a vision, not a dream. If it's a dream, you're old. Okay? That's, that's scriptural, right? Okay. Everyone says, I got a dream. I got a dream. Okay, you're old. You're watching. No. Okay. I got a vision. Okay. But God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. God is not a respecter because you know that the Holy Spirit is not predicated on our age. It's the same Holy Spirit for a four-year-old. Or an eight-year-old as it is for a 50-year-old. It's the same spirit of God. And children, young people, there's a, there's, even though they're facing much pressure in this generation, pressure to perform, pressure educationally, all this pressure about life and the future, yet I know, I know that the grace of God, with everything that comes our way in life, God's grace is greater to be able to deal with that. And I know there's a generation because there's a crazy faith in this generation. Do you know that our God is supernatural? Everything about God is supernatural. That's why we have to believe the supernatural. Do you know that most of, uh, I don't know the exact statistics, but teenagers, they like going on supernatural websites more than just maybe church websites because there's a hunger in this generation for the miraculous. There's a hunger in this generation for the supernatural, for God to touch them. And so we have to have the power of God. We can't water down our gospel and the miracle power of God in any way. Maybe you're somewhere, but the same Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he wants to breathe upon our church so that we manifest the presence of God in our churches, in our lives, and be able to just declare the word of the Lord and pray the prayer of faith over our generation, and to their peers. They want to see the power of God. Our, our children in, in, in our church, they have no problem praying for, for healing. And I know you don't either, but you understand my heart. God wants to use the generation in a great, great way. And so we see that it was the fear of man that Samuel here, he says in verse 1, he says, I provided myself. And then Samuel, how will I go if Saul hears that he's going to kill me? So Samuel was basically fearing man, why he didn't want to go. He was afraid of man's opinion for him. So he held back and he was hesitant because of the fear of man. Well, if you look back at the previous chapter, that's what happened to Saul. Saul said he was afraid of the people. That's why he did. He he disobeyed. The fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. And so us not to have the fear of men. And, and I know God is raising up a church in a generation that we don't have the fear of man upon us. And so we see God doesn't see as man sees. You think about society. All society wants young people. They do. All the target of advertisers, of marketers, because they know if they can get this generation the young people in our generation, that what? They're tied not just to their parents' pocketbooks, but also they know that sets the trend for the nation. 
You think about all the shows that your kids watch. Okay, why do they invest so much in kids and teenagers? Because they know that they have power. They have a voice. Our our children, our youth, they have a voice in their generation. Well, God wants them to arise and have a voice in the church. He does, and they can't have that. And so we encourage our young people. We encourage my son, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do. You want to just let, just dream whatever God has for you. Just dream and do it. Don't be afraid of what people say. He may ask, well, what are, what are people going to say? I don't care what people say. Just do it. If God puts something in your heart to do, step out and do it. Step out in faith. Guess what? Most of the time, the adults will say, yes, go do it, because they're not doing it, and they want to do it. And so they just wait, and they sat on their pew too long, and now they see a young person doing it. They're like, oh, oh, I thought about that 10 years ago, but I didn't do it. Okay. So... Our young people just need to have radical faith and go ahead and step out and do it and believe God. I love, I love the scriptures that says. You think about David. It says there's a generation that God has kept for himself, a generation that will carry the anointing of the king and the priest. You think about it. A kingly anointing and a priestly anointing. Someone say, well, man, you guys sure get violent in worship. Well, we have to sometimes. We have to break some, through some things in our atmosphere and people's lives. And, but to walk in that doesn't mean you're mad or, or mean to anybody. It just means that you want the presence of God. You don't want the enemy's influence ruling and reigning. And so there's a generation arising that is going to walk in that anointing. They're going to have a priestly anointing upon them where they're worshipers of the Most High God, and they love his presence. But also, they're not going to just stay and be so self-centered that they can't carry that anointing out to their friends and walk in a kingly anointing that says that I can be an influencer to my peers. There's a scripture, and we'll turn there to Genesis chapter 41, and I love this because it's the story of Joseph. And Joseph was in Egypt. This was during the seven years of plenty. After the Lord spoke to him and told him to, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And in those seven years of plenty, born to Joseph, those were the grandchildren of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Jacob had his children, Joseph, his kids. Those were Jacob's grandkids. And so they brought him Joseph brought his grandkids to their grandpa to bless them because he wanted them to have a generational blessing. And the first child's name was Manasseh, which just means forgetfulness. That's what he named his grandson, forgetfulness. I have forgotten the pain of yesterday. I've forgotten the toil that I went through. I forgot all the stuff that I had to go through till now. My firstborn is forgetfulness. I don't want to remember because God has been too good to me now. I don't remember the pain of yesterday. The second child's name was Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. Okay, and Ephraim was the younger. So he brings them to Jacob to bless them. And he's standing in front of Jacob, and the scripture says that he took Manasseh in his left hand so that it would be at Jacob's right hand. And he put Ephraim in Jacob's left hand, or his right hand, so it would be in Jacob's left hand. And Jacob couldn't see too well, the scriptures say. 
And it says that he crossed over and he laid his right hand, the hand of blessing, the hand of double portion upon the head of his grandson Ephraim. And he put the firstborn blessing upon the younger. And Joseph got upset at his dad. Joseph got upset at Jacob and said, no, dad, no, dad, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. And he says, no, 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 I don't. I don't have it wrong. I, the Lord knows what he's doing. And he pronounced and he says, no, the younger is going to be greater than the older. And I believe that there's a gen that's assigned to us even today that the younger generation is going to be greater than us. It, we should want that to happen. We should want our kids and our grandkids to outlive us and, and do more for God than us. That's the sign of fruitfulness that it's carried on from generation to generation that has gone, that something has outlived you. If it didn't outlive you, then it wasn't real to begin with. And I don't say that critically of anybody or anything, but God wants fruitfulness in our lives. And so he came and he laid his hands upon them and he blessed them with a double portion. I think about the one thing that this generation needs more than anything else is affirmation from adults. Affirming them because it's so easy to be critical and say, oh, look at young people. They don't do this. And young people, they're lazy. And young people, they don't do it. You know, and we can, even though we love them, you know. But to be critical, but young people need the affirmation that, you know what, that's one thing I appreciate about my father-in-law. That he's the greatest encourager. Just to say, you know what, I believe in you. I believe in who you are as a man of God and you're the greatest. I've never heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've never heard him say to his grandkids, uh, aren't you? Oh, I'm not proud of you. And to me, that speaks volumes because people don't really care. People don't really care what you have to say until they know how much you care. You know, we can have all the right words, religious words. That's all there'll be is religion. But when people know that someone loves them and believes in them, that will cause them to overcome. I don't know about you. What caused me to overcome in my life more than anything else is when the Lord spoke to me and says, I believe in who you are. When I knew that God loved me, it caused me not to want to sin. When I knew God loved me, even though I blew it, I was like, God, I can't understand this. I blow it, and then you forgive me. And You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, people don't want to be a hypocrite. Some people may want to be a hypocrite, but I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And I felt like I was being a hypocrite <laughs> because I would sin and then I would say I'm sorry and then I would sin and I would say I'm sorry and then I'm sin and I'm sorry. I'm like, ah, I can't take it anymore. God, deliver me from this body of flesh. And that's what Paul said in Romans 7, 6, 7. And what caused me to overcome in life was knowing that I had a dad, a heavenly father that loved me to overcoming power. 
And this generation needs to know that there's people that love them, parents that love them, aunts and uncles. You think about the story of Abraham. You know when Abraham left, he left with his nephew Lot. His nephew was so important to him. Do you remember when he went into Canaan? And, they, and then afterwards there was strife between the two. And Lot picked the best land. And then Abraham went. And then there was a battle that took place. And the messenger came back to Abraham and said, your nephew Lot was taken captive. It always stuck with me. It didn't say a lot of detail. But Abraham loved his nephew so much. It says he took 318 men or sons, it says, that were trained servants. And it says this. It says that were born in his house. They were sons. They were, they were born to Abraham. And he took those mighty men, those 318, and they went out and they went out to battle. And he captured and he recovered his nephew Lot. To me, that speaks of family. That speaks of love. That speaks of, you know what, my nephew means so much to me that I'm going to be willing to sacrifice my life for my nephew. Now, all of us have family members, our kids in our lives, maybe a nephew, maybe a niece, maybe a, a younger sibling or a son or a daughter. And God wants us to war for this generation. He wants us to say, you know what, man, the young people around my life, they're important to me. And so every young person in here, I want you to know you're important to God. You're important and I love you. I don't even know you, but I, I, I love you. And I, I know God loves you and I know the church loves you and I know your parents love you. And that doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean there's not battles and, and our, our challenges and conflicts that come up. They do come up. They do come up. But you're important to God. God loves you and God's hand is upon you. And so, Deuce, would you come back to the, to the piano? I just want to, I want all of our young people just to come up here. I just want to, Pastor Portia and I, we, wanna, we just want to just pray for them if, that, if that's okay. Can we just come and just bless them? I'd like to just lay our hands upon them and just bless all of the children and the young people here, if that's okay. The youth pastors, and just come and and bless them. Is that okay? We'd like to just minister. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just go ahead and just come on to the front of his faces. Don't be afraid. We're not going to bite you. We just want to hug you and pray for you and bless you because we know God has his hands upon this generation in a great, great way. Thank you, Jesus. A generation is rising that loves not their lives to death. That will overcome by the blood of the Lamb And the word of their testimony A generation is rising That knows who I am That knows the voice of their Father God Will you be that generation? Will you say Yes, Lord, here I am. Will you be that generation? Will you say, 
the tail It's like I'm looking at your report card And I see Yes God's gonna quicken you with him. 
You look at yourself sometimes and you say, I don't really fit in. But God says you fit in with him. Hmm. I see like a puzzle before me and I see God saying to me, God says, you fit, that's the piece that's missing. You fit, that's the piece that's missing. You fit, that's the piece that I am looking for. God says, you fit, you're the piece that's missing. You fit, you're the piece that's missing. You fit, you're the piece that I am longing for. Will you come? Cause you fit in with me. Even the rejection that you feel at times. God says, I come today to put the past behind you. God says, what others may say, even what you may think about yourself, God says, it only matters what I say. And I think you're wonderful.
childish thing. There will be a day when I just see you just putting stuff away and you're just crying out to God and the fire of God shall come upon you. The fire of God shall come upon you. Your parents will say, my God, what happened to him? They're going to know that it's the Holy Ghost that hit you. It's the Holy Ghost that came upon you. Roshikande, rikamatea kono, rote my eso mae, fire, 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 holy fire, shall fall from heaven like rain, holy fire shall fall like heaven like rain upon your life, says Lord your God. Rikando robasike, rikando rosi. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you that this is your worshiper. Except you become like a little child. thank you that she will dance the dance of victory in your house she will dance the dance of freedom in your house and demonic forces shall fall at the right and to the left yes, yes, yes yes, yes, yes God says yes 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 she will destroy the just say thank you for this little one huh. we thank you God we speak blessing upon her in Jesus name in Jesus name come on amen 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 come on give Jesus a hand just asked me that the dopes that want to be better parents, those of you that are parents, come on up here if you want special prayer today. We're just going to pray for you. Thank you, kids. Thank you, teens. God's raising up a mighty generation. Mighty generation. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just go ahead and focus on the cross and the blood of Jesus. Just go ahead and focus on it. Tonoro kondoro shaya. Rikama kono Father God, we thank you right now. Just all the ministers, just come and pray for them with us. We thank you, God, for these parents that love you. We thank you, God, that you're raising up righteous parents. We thank you, God, that you're raising up holy parents. We thank you right now, Lord God. We thank you, God, right now, Lord God, that you're raising up anointed parents. 
oh, that you will use for your glory. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this mother in Zion. Let her not worry, Lord God. God comes today to remove all the worry from you. Go, 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 go. In Jesus' name, I say no more worrying. No more worrying. I speak joy into your spirit. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. In the name of Jesus. Rikane. He come up so. I thank you, God. Rikoma sukene. A embrace is so much louder than a word. A embrace is so much louder than a word. Mountains falling, mountains falling, mountains falling, mountains falling. 
at some little thing. But God says, lift up your vision because mountains will fall at the presence of the Lord in your life. Go ahead and lift your head.